Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Dr. Alan Hawkins. How many people weren't here last week and heard Alan? This is your first time I'm going to be here now. You're in for a real treat. God has um, blessed both of us to be a part of a spiritual family. Uh, our spiritual father is a guy named Jack Taylor who went to be home with the Lord he was 87 when he uh, passed, and he left a big uh, inheritance and family. And we just came back from uh, a couple days in Mineral Wells uh, with about 40 of our brothers gathering. And God, just, it, was, it was the best one we've had. And it's hard to say that because I had a lot of good ones when Jack was here. But we were just talking about it. It was like there was something. I know Jack was peering through the cloud of witnesses going, I'm pleased with this. It was just so incredibly good. But Dr. Alan Hawkins is uh, pastor for over 40 years uh, with his wife, Gail, who was here with us last week, in Albuquerque. Um, he teaches with Global Awakening, Randy Clark, um, in their seminary. And is, uh, is more than that, um, he, he, he presents himself as a rough, rough and tough. He's got a heart of gold. Um, the time I've been able to spend just talking and seeing the love of the Lord inside of him and just emanating from him this last week and a half has been fantastic. And so you guys are in a in for a real treat. And what he's going to pour out is fresh bread, and it's going to take you to a new level, I think, of understanding the Lord, what he's going to do. So we're talking about, too, we've been talking about the communion revival um, that is here, and we're in the middle of this thing. And I told him, like, the Lord is not just needing people to talk about the communion revival. He's raising up teachers who have a revelation of what that looks like about the restoration of the Lord's table and, and the presence of the Lord in communion. And so we have a privilege that the Lord's been revealing things to him fresh and new in this place, um, and, and we get to benefit from it, too. So I want you all to stand up with me and just give a warm welcome to Alan. First thing first is I'll bring you a greeting from Gail, my wife, who so loved being with you last week that she literally was online searching for a plane ticket to fly down here just to be here for the weekend and drive back with me. So um, Gail sends you her love. Amen. And then I've had the opportunity... Uh, the first week here to eat with your elders and come to love them and then to be with your school of ministry and widen the circle and then this week to be with, what, five men from the church including pastor and uh, you guys are doing okay. Do you know this? You're doing okay and, and you, can feel, you can feel pretty joyful about the things that the Lord's doing. There's one thing that I'm uh, known for most places where I get invited, and that's teaching on the covenant. And I always say covenant is not a thing. It's the only thing. It's the whole thing. It's all of it. And uh, the, the other thing that I am going to be increasingly pressing, whether I get known for it or not, because I might actually get in trouble when I start doing this. Um, and, and that is teaching on uh, the Eucharist. And probably some of you will say, well, if you wouldn't say that word, we'd like you better. It, it's the communion. It's the historic way that the church has referenced receiving the body and blood of Christ. Now, <clears throat> so... How is 
How are covenants made? That's the, that's the thing not to forget. And that is that every covenant that gets made involves eating food. This is why all churches, like man, we, we get together and we feast. That's what we do. Because it's part of being family. Because family is where you eat. And when you invite someone to your table, you're inviting them to your family. And I told you last week that, Paul, that the, reason, the reason that we don't see very much reference to the covenant in the Gospels is because Jesus, the essence of the covenant maker, arrives and then he introduces us to family. Because covenant makes family. And so after Jesus arrives, God becomes Father, Abba. And, man, that changes everything. Would to God that the church had communicated God as Father rather than Judge. Because when the world says what they hear from us, what they have heard is Judge. They've not heard Father. The deal is, see, it doesn't mean Father doesn't bring judgment. But when dad brings judgment, it's always to get you sorted out to bring you home. <laughs> right? It's, it's always, he, he's bringing you closer. All right, so when you, when you talk about how, how families are made, it's, as I said, I don't know what happened to my voice this morning, but it's, it's how, so it's how covenants are made. And... There's about 10 steps in covenant making. And uh, I always, I'll probably go through these tonight uh, with the class. But um, the first one is exchanging gifts. When you want to make a covenant with somebody, you give them a gift. And uh, when I met this girl, she, she was like 14. And um, I was like, there, there she is. Y'all met her. And I love to tell this story that when I knew I was in love with her and she knew that she sort of liked me because she was just like you, I, I had to grow on her. <laughs> I used to tell people my church was an acquired taste. And... and uh, uh, it came around Christmas, and we were not even officially boyfriend or girlfriend. But I had gotten a job. I say I'd gotten a job. My dad put me into enforced labor. And y'all know that? And I was loading and unloading trucks. Boy, get out there and load that truck. And, uh, you know, in those days, they, they didn't think making a man out of you was a sin. Uh-oh. I'll leave tomorrow. You'll be all right. <laughs> and, and sorry. And, and anyway, I had a job and I started looking for a gift to give this girl. And I found a, a star sapphire, like the natural ones. You can't get them anymore. They're gone. 
a natural star sapphire ring with little diamond chips around it, you know. I like, I like to say diamond studded. <laughs> right. And, and uh, listen, what did my gift say to her? It's like, you are it, girl. Like it said, it said, this dude is not messing around. You're the one. And she bought me one of those football jerseys. You know, in those days it was with ironed on letters. Because you used to let me know. She's like, you're, you're a maybe. We can put a new name on this jersey if we need to, right? And that, and that said, you got some work to do, Buster. You, you, got, you got to step up. And so, and so I did step up. Of course I did. But the, the ninth thing that I list on covenant making is a covenant meal. Now, all ten of the things that I'll list for you are things that are normally incorporated into a traditional wedding ceremony. Because covenant is so strong that it's sticky. And when it gets inside of people, then the vestiges of it just stay. And so one of the things is a, is a covenant meal. And that's why um, weddings are attended to by a feast. But there's something more in that covenant meal. And that is there's the ceremonial giving of the cake and the cup. And when I would teach young couples about the, the cake and the cup, I want you to tell you something. After I started teaching them, I never had a single cup couple turn the cake and the cup into a moment of comedy. Because they knew it was sacred. Because they knew that they were saying to their beloved, I will feed you. As long as I live, you will eat. I will take care of you. Which, by the way, when I had daughters, first thing I asked the men in their lives is, are you going to take care of her? Making covenant. Now, I'm saying that because I'm going to continue along the lines of um, where we were. Y'all know the law of first mention? Y'all know it, right? It means that if you want to understand what a thing is, you find the first time in the Bible it's mentioned, and then after that, everything that flows from it will be informed by that first time. All right? So... Eating is first mentioned in the Bible when God tells them what He has provided for them. By the way, your God is your provider. One of my resistance to government overreach, and this is not a partisan statement, this is a generic statement, is the government is not my daddy and not my provider. Get out of my way. And, and uh, because, by the way, whoever does provide for you has the right to give you direction. 
So God comes and he provides provision and protection and then therefore uh, direction. He provides for us. He directs us. I mean, he, he protects us and he directs us. And so when the first time food is mentioned in the Bible, God says, here's what I've provided for you, this tree that's in the midst of the garden. You eat of all the trees in the garden, but the one in the midst of the garden you can't eat. I haven't provided that. That's not my provision. That's not for you. And then you know what happened. And that is, the serpent came to the woman and said, did he really say that? And so the woman saw Genesis 3, 6. And I'm not going to have slides for you because I'm just going to... I might make it up as I go. (laughs) The woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now listen... The saddest words in the Bible. Then their eyes were both opened. Oh, man. The eyes of both of them were opened. Their eyes were opened. And they were ashamed. Oh. Oh. This is the first woke moment in the Bible. Not messing around. I'm not kidding. This is, this is, oh, they saw. Now listen, all of life is trying to get you sight. If I can get my sight, I'm going to be all right. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see. <clears throat> and so the, the serpent fed them. And then he became the source of direction in life. In essence, the first one, well, in essence, they said, instead of getting our directions from God, whose voice we're hearing, we've heard this other voice, and we're going to covenant with it. And so they made a covenant with death. Death became our master. And from that time to this, the great enemy is death. And the Bible says, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And so here we are. It's a bit of a pickle. Right? Now, then all of the Bible is about how can we sort out the problems in life. There's not anybody here that's not here with a problem. No one. Every time you preach, you know that you're preaching to somebody who is in such a state that this might be the last sermon they're ever willing to listen to. Every time you gather, you know this is a, Persons here that might be dealing with the last gathering they're willing to come through. But let me, let me be sure you understand something, first of all, about following Jesus. Because we sang it up here. We sang we wanted to know Him. And I always go, you really want to know Him? 
Because if you don't want to know him, then you're saying, anything that happened to you, let it happen to me. That's how I can know you. That's why Paul said, I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. This is why I'm always confused when people leave church because they got their feelings hurt. Can we talk? <laughs> I mean, I understand it because I've had my feelings hurt and I've been mad and I've been upset and I've been hurt. But, by the way, there's nowhere you can go where that won't happen. <laughs> and nowadays, you can stay in your own house and mind your own business and he'll come in there and find you. I just want to be left alone. Well, it ain't going to happen. That's a prayer you can pray that ain't getting answered. Because <laughs> you'll be bothered by something. Get left alone and you'll say, I'm so lonely. You're going to get bothered by something. Now, the Lord gave me an assignment and I'm here to impose it on you. I'm an imperialist. I mean, I want, I want you to get this assignment. You can't live without this assignment, but you are learning to live by doing this assignment badly. And that is, my assignment is to restore the glory of eating. Hallelujah, that's a good assignment right there. And it's twofold. God is asking me to exhort people everywhere I go to restore two tables. The domestic table, your family table, or as I call it, the common table, and the sacred table. And without these two tables, that one of the divine your life will be impoverished. And so it's no surprise that one of the devices of the, of the enemy in this, in this day and time has been to get us away from the table. Like, when I was growing up, literally, when I was growing up, I grew up in one of those households. My father was a produce man. And so we always had fresh stuff at the house. It, it follows naturally that I'm a meat eater because my dad was a produce man. But we always had fresh produce in our house. And there were, there were always at least five kids at the table. And my mama was one of those mamas in those days. And it was a different day, I understand. Don't get guilty now. I'm just, going, I'm just telling you about my life. Breathe. You don't have to feel bad. We, we ain't doing this naked and ashamed thing. We did that already. And, and my mama... Sat us to the table three times a day. Now, I don't think you can probably figure that out today. But what I am exhorting you to do is figure out how to have life where the table really matters. And where you sit down to eat and look at each other and not screams and not be distracted. Why? Because... It's at the table where you get connected to the voice of your, your family's voice. 
What we loved about this weekend was because, look, look, we ate together three meals a day and, and then we sat in a circle for three days. And I don't think we had a single person whose voice wasn't heard in three days. It wasn't a sit and listen to messages, though I, there were several messages. But most of it was interactively encountering. And the table was interactively encountering. And after we finished, uh, we went out and sat by the fire and interactively encountered. We got face to face. God wants to help you restore your family. Now listen, as soon as I start saying this, if you're not careful, you'll start feeling bad. Don't do it. Pray into it. Ask Him to give you wisdom. Design some opportunities. Even if it's like one time a week that it's like we all come together. Figure it out. I know, I know a family that, that they, they had the, the, the tradition of the one meal a week and then that blistering wind of 2020 with all those divisions that came into families. Over all those things came. And somehow, even though those issues did get them fussing with one another, They kept the table sacred. And they laid those things aside at the table. And they talked to each other and about about each other. You can always talk about somebody in front of them. By the way, also, just so you know, it's a little secret that in case you don't know, I'm going to tell you. Family is where you get talked about. And and, And there's supposed to be a rat in the family. You know, that's, that, by the way, a rat in the family is not gossip. That is not gossip. It's just not. So, so when I would confront my kids, they would say, who told you? And I would say, everybody. Everybody. You know, you, you, you want to make it about the rat. No, 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 no. In family, everybody's business is everybody's business. All you got to do is leave off the soap for a few days and come to the table and see if your business ain't the whole family's business. <laughs> We're going to make your business our business pretty quick. You getting this? So to restore the common table and to restore the sacred table because it's, it shocked me. It has shocked me to understand God gave us a meal to eat. It's a covenant meal, and you don't do it one time. This is why it's a meal. This is why God meets us. That's why covenant is made in a meal. That cake at the wedding is a sign of all the meals. God's sacred table is us coming and saying, you you know, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. I mean, churches all the time, they say, I'm hungry for God. I'm like, well, then eat the meal for crying out loud. <laughs> he, said, he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, come and eat again. Come and eat again. We partake of Jesus himself. We receive him over and over and over. What will happen? Well, sooner or later, we'll start seeming to be like him. Because you become what you eat. 
I'm not messing around. This is my assignment, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like that guy that says, this is the only thing that matters. Y- y'all know how that is. Whatever, when you get about something, you can't shut up about it. And I tried not to bring this back to you this morning. It's kind of like, you said this last week. Uh-uh, I didn't. Not enough. And so I talked to you last week about the hour. And I told, you, I told you two things about John. One was that it was family language instead of, instead of the language of the covenant. Because when you're talking family, the covenant is assumed. And I told you, and, and I told you number two, that there was an hour that Jesus had inside of himself toward which he was destined. And he was irretrievably bound and drawn to this hour. And that when that hour came, it would be, he would provide for us. And I told you, the first thing he said he would provide was, he said, I'll give you the best wine. I can't wait till I get invited to preach this in a Baptist church. I'm going to give you, y'all know, Y'all know I spent 25 years of my life among the Baptists. And, and I love them. And I'll sneak in and worship with them once in a while. Raise my hand this high. <laughs> I love them. Listen, you don't know how much I love them. Like, I ain't kidding, man. I love them. Uh, I got an old buddy from high school that he and I used to hate each other in high school. And then, doggone it, he got saved, and I had to like him. <laughs> and I like, I'm like, what? He got saved? Not him? No, no way he got saved. Oh yeah, he got saved, Alan. Can y'all hear my southern coming out this morning? <laughs> Didn't come out last week. And I saw him, and he told me his testimony, and he said, Hawkins. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) I'm like, that's messed up. That that ain't how church works. (laughs) And and I literally, this is is a true true testimony. I was like, doggone it. I I enjoyed hating him. Y'all aren't like that though. Y'all are better. Y'all are better than me. <laughs> and, and, and so when Jesus came into my life and he let me know that 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 he loved all, even the ones I didn't like. And so listen, when the Baptists decided they didn't like me anymore, because they were clear about it, I wasn't confused. <laughs> the Lord told me that my assignment was to not change my, my mind about them. Like, man, I, got, I started getting mail and I got this long, you know, put box, we put letters in, I got a long box full of letters. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was the most painful time of my life. It was awful, except for one thing. Jesus was so with me 
that he, he gave me love for everybody who wrote me a letter. And he told me, don't justify yourself, don't seek revenge, and don't let anybody read these letters but you. So I kept those letters from my wife to this day. And you know what happened in the end? I can't remember the letters, but I love those people. Right? Because listen, what I had done was, this was, this is like, this is the unforgivable sin of Baptist life. I spoke in tongues. (laughs) All of her sins a man can be forgiven of. And, And I mean, it's really true. But, but, you know, then what it felt like to them was betrayal. And, and, man, of course it felt to them that way. We had a good thing going. We had a great love. We had a, we had a great understanding. We saw public worship and public life the same way. And then I went and changed the thing, and I was the father of the house. Of course they were hurt. And the Lord gave me full understanding of what was going on inside of them and not to hate them. This is the gospel, folks. And this is what it means. When you eat the meal of Jesus giving himself to you, you're, giving him, you're eating the meal of the one who gave himself up for you. And Luke 22 14. All that was introduction. When the hour came and he reclined at the table, the apostles with him, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. Say this Passover. Okay, it was a Passover meal. And I'm telling you this because Jesus messes up the meal. Eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's taking a vow now. I'm going to eat this, and I won't eat this again until the thing is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, there's a rumor that you are a kingdom church. If you're a kingdom church, then this meal is a signal for the kingdom. And so the first thing you want to go is, well, I better watch that then. Because it's a strange thing to say. It's not part of the Passover liturgy. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And then he says, for I tell you that from now on, I'll not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, please understand, he just dated the inauguration of the kingdom. For those who are wondering when it'll, anyway, verse 19, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And I told you all last week, I keep pressing this, like where's the Passover lamb? Jesus tells them there's, there's meat on this table and it is lamb. This is my body. John calls him the Lamb of God. The worship of the book of Revelation is obsessively centered on the Lamb of God. 
The image of Jesus in the book of Revelation is the image of one who stands having been slain, a lamb on the throne, a living sacrifice. That's Jesus. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, I pointed out, and I don't have time to do it this morning, that the reason there's two cups in this account is because it's a Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, there's actually four cups. What you're looking at here is the, third, is the second cup and the third cup. We know this because Paul tells us, uh, Paul who is very explicit about using the language of Jesus for inaugurating the supper in the book of Corinthians, which by the way is the earliest written expression of how to take the table. Because Corinthians was written before the Gospels. And he said, I got this from the Lord who delivered it to me. And, and Paul, earlier in the book of Corinthians, he says, the cup of blessing which we bless, that's the third cup in the Passover Seder. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is this not a participation of Jesus? Which means koinonia with the living Jesus. All right? Now, Jesus ends that Passover meal. I don't have time. I'm not doing this sermon this morning, but he omits the drinking of the fourth cup. Or at least, none of the Gospels express that they drank it. When the Bible says, they sang a hymn and went out, We put that into our little tradition of we'll do the Lord's Supper and then we'll sing a hymn. No, no, no. That was saying they sang the great Hallel, which was the finishing of of the Seder meal. And then there was one more cup of wine to to end it. And there's no expression that they took that cup. Instead, what we find is Jesus goes out And he goes to the place to pray in Luke chapter 2 and verse 39. He came out and as he went out, as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came out to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Which cup? I suggest to you, it would be the last cup of the Seder expression of their covenantal meal. But we're not done yet. Because some stuff happens in that that 22nd chapter that is just so painful. And we got to get it because we won't really, we won't take it all in unless we get this. Some stuff happens in that, in that 22nd chapter. And that was, that listen, please get this. As soon as they had this supper with Jesus, as soon as they had it, it says, and then they started having a discussion about their ranks in the kingdom. 
<laughs> John left that out and just said he was the favorite. <laughs> Bible's a funny book if you read it. They did. Like they, had a, they had a debate, meaning they had a church fight. Now, you got to understand it. They really thought they were going to war, which they were. They just didn't understand how. And, they were, and they're like trying to get their, they're trying to get the rankings going. Who was the great? So listen. Are you kidding me? He had this meal, and then that happened. And I love that because we're still just as confused as they are. In, in other words, most of the things we fuss about don't amount to very much. And then at the table was somebody who was going to betray him. It's, it's instructive to me that is, it's in Luke's gospel that Luke gives us the information about the, the crucifixion and, being, and all the mocking and taunting that happens. And then Luke gives us the first expression of Jesus' voice from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now here's how you get around that. You say, well, that cat that did that to me, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> now, the human condition is such that we're so dumb, stupid, and blind, we never know what we're really doing to somebody. So listen, I know that I'm talking to people who've been betrayed, who've been misunderstood, who've been misjudged, I know I'm talking to people who've had arguments with one another about their position in the kingdom or is it just on the church role? Because these things happen to us. There's no temptation but such is common to man. The disciples didn't exhaust the sins when they got stupid. <laughs> we read these lessons and we go, we, we, in our insides our heart, we're like, oh man, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I didn't do that. And we're doing it. And Jesus is on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. And we're drinking that meal, which is a meal that you drink that means the thing that holds the family together is forgiveness. <laughs> By the way, Jesus, when he was dying, provided for us a path of forgiveness because we don't know how to forgive. The exit strategy for people when they're struggling, and listen, I, I'm not talking to you as a rookie. I'm a skilled hater of humanity. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I have worn out the carpet on the path to the mercy seat of God. <laughs> he is so untiring in his generosity over us. And on the cross, he showed us even how to forgive because we don't know how. You say, 
People ask you all the time, have you forgiven them? And you'll either lie and say you have, which I love it when people tell me they forgive me just before they rehearse what I did to them. (laughs) Sometimes I'll listen to it and I'll say, no, it was worse than that. And then they'll say, I know, I just didn't want to tell you. (laughs) You thought I couldn't be funny. (laughs) Oh, it's so so human being human. Hallelujah. And you get among charismatics, we say, we're not sinners, we're saints. We're experienced, but we're saints. I understand the difference in identity. I do understand it. But I do like to just poke the bear. (laughs) I like to give people reasons to need to forgive me. Hallelujah. Father, forgive them. He didn't say, Father, I forgive them. He was in the act of forgiving them. But he said, Father, forgive them. You know what he was doing? He was entering to the courts of heaven and he's saying, no accusation. Hallelujah. You want to know how to forgive those who have hurt you? Pray for them. And pray specifically because, listen, here's, here's the other thing. Here's another little trick Christians do. Uh, I can forgive them because I know the Lord said, Vengeance is mine. <laughs> no. When you say, Father, forgive them, you're giving up your claim against them. When you give up your claim against them, you'll forget why you hate them. Listen, forgiveness is not a process, it's a miracle. It's a divine exchange. It's as remarkable as being healed of leprosy. It's as incredible as being raised from the dead. The sting of that awful, grinding, teeth-gnashing hatred that had so filled my heart, I can't find it. Where is it? I remember the day that I had to do something on behalf of my father that shamed me beyond imagination. And I came home weeping. And I said, I know Jesus has saved me because I don't hate him. God just took it out. I didn't know where it went. This is the glory of God. This is the miracle of our gospel. This is the miracle of grace. This is the thing that I'm preaching. And if you get it, today a miracle will happen. I have many more things to say, but I'm going to press on. Jesus drank the last cup. We know he drank it because when he went to the cross, when he was on his way to the cross, they offered him a wine to drink that was a narcotic. And when he got a taste of it, he refused it because that wasn't the cup. And then he hung on the cross. And when it was all done, when his work was accomplished, when the darkness was vanquished, 
when the God forsakenness was over, he said, I'm thirsty. Like, just now? That's the way we read that, like that's a strange thing to say. No, it's a signal for him to say. And they took the, the hyssop branch, the same branch that they painted the blood of the Passover lamb on the doors that they walked through. They put it on the sponge. They put that wine in it. They held it up to his lips. He drank it and said, it's finished. Amen. What I came here to do is finished. The new Passover is finished. The new deliverance. You can, you, the Egyptians are off. The Romans are off. The demons are off. It's finished. It's finished. And then he... Nobody killed him. Nobody killed him. He relinquished his life freely. All right, now. Y'all got all that? Okay, that's point one. (laughs) A day of deep darkness ensues. What we call Holy Saturday. And if you understand the traditional church, some Christians foolishly say, it's the day he went to hell. No, no, no. The Bible says it's the day he plundered hell. <laughs> it's the day. It's the day. It's the day he plundered the darkness. It's the day that having died and having entered into death, he went and got those who were caught in death all their lives and led them free. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, I, I read last night about a man that I love. You're not going to believe this. Michael Heiser. He's dying. And he wrote his farewell. But man, when he wrote it, he said, I shall be happy. Having done the work God gave me to do, I shall enter into the heavenly counsels of God having having finished he just exhorted his followers to pick it up by the way I'm a charismatic and I I like resurrections from the dead but I think it's time that we made some peace with the fact that one day we're going to die and it'll be better if when you die you're proclaiming the glory of Christ rather than whining over not getting healed If I, I told them at my church, if I get sick with a sickness that's unto death and y'all come in here and are blathering about healing every second until I give up my last breath, I'm going to tell you to shut up. <laughs> I, I know that could sound bad. I know it can. But I think we've overstepped. Christians have always had this glorious view of eternal life and of the eternal hope. And when we... Pray as if we've lost the battle. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. And I'm old enough. Don't y'all raise me from the dead. (laughs) Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I used to have an old friend from Tennessee, and he goes to jumping and dancing when he's preaching, and he says, the, the right foot says hallelujah, and the left foot says amen. <laughs> so when, he come, when he'd come to our church, we would, we would kick our feet. <laughs> every, time, every time he'd make a point. And so on the third day, on the third day, two of his disciples are on the road going home. And a stranger appears, and they don't know him. Are you kidding me? They'd known him for a long time, but they don't know him because they can't see. Their eyes are not open. And they, they start telling him a story. Or he, he's, like, he's like, what are you talking about? And he says, there you go. You're not from around here, are you? You're the only guy that doesn't know what's going on here. What's the deal with you? And they tell him about Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, well, I know that story. And he picked it up. And he gave them a Bible study, which, oh, if I could have been there, you'd never hear the end of it. <laughs> and beginning with Moses, Luke 24, 27, all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village where they were going. And I love it so much. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's toward evening. Good Jewish hospitality. The day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And chapter 24 verse 30 and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Now you've got to first understand this. Those are the exact words that Jesus had said to them on the night he was betrayed. And that was the Passover. It's only three days later. It's not next year. And he shows up. And he takes their common meal and turns it into the sacred moment. That moment in which he said, will signal the kingdom coming. <laughs> that moment which he said, I'll give you the best wine. I'll give you worship in spirit and truth. I'll give you the word that raises the dead. I'll give you the wheat that falls to the ground and provides fruit, bread to eat. Those were the things I skipped and meant to tell you earlier. And here he is providing them because the hour came. And here he is literally, he's told you, he says, wait for the kingdom. And now he says, now. And then the words that were not seen in the Bible since Genesis chapter 3. And their eyes were opened. Are you kidding me? And they moved from death to life with Him. And now they're able to see what they could not see until He broke the bread 
resurrection life. Behold the Lamb standing as if He had been slain, reigning. And there from that moment on, they could never unsee Him again. We're going to, Pastor, are we going to receive again? But first, if you will allow me, there is no cross, there is no crown without the cross. There is no victory without the loss. There is no hand to lead us through before the blows for me, for you. There is no peace, no joy, no hope without the march up the bloody slope. Observe and wait, he lingers still, resolved in doing Father's will. Darkness shrouds and obscures his face that rescues Adam's fallen race. Abandoned, wailing, sighing, rent, a veil, a corpse, a Savior sent. Confused and thinking it could be the prince, the Davidic prophecy, his sorrows, his pain, the awful waste, his cup, his woe, the gall, the taste. Now lies in shattered dreams entombed, a sword that pierces Mary's womb. Two walk together, a loss they share, a third unfettered, no cross to bear. Have you not known they each will say, two stories they tell along the way. And burning hearts, by words he said, I knew him not until he broke the bread. May the Lord open our eyes again today. Hallelujah. We're going to celebrate the family meal. Wednesday night when we gathered as a group of brothers. I just want to share a testimony of what it did for my heart. Many of you know, went through a hard year from August of 2021 through this last fall, passing to my father, my, my brother-in-law. We had a nephew pass. My father passed. A lot of heaviness. And in being in the place of community with my brothers, 
on that Wednesday night, and Alan led us through this. I had an encounter with the Lord that took me back when I was a young man, a young boy as a Catholic. There's something the Catholics have that we need to return to, which is a reverence for. This is the body. This is the blood. We don't have to have a theology. This is not symbolic. This is real. We've turned it into a thing that we try to rationalize away the significance of the supernatural of an encounter. Alan said it last week. I'm going to say it again. If we believe that when we lay hands on someone and there's an impartation of the supernatural presence of God that transfers one temple to another temple, if we can believe that the shadow of Peter carried a measure of the presence that all he needed to do for the lame to walk and the people to be healed was the shadow of an apostle to pass over them and realize it wasn't Peter's shadow. It was a tangible manifestation of the risen Lord that passed over them and they walked. What if in this moment that we had an encounter with the body of Christ, the shed blood that was just as supernatural, that whatever you've been walking in, that you need a touch of the tangible presence, you encountered it at the table. Wednesday night, I came into this comp, into that week with my brothers, heavy-hearted, carrying a lot of burdens. And I'm telling you right now, when he broke the bread, I heard the Lord say, Stop carrying your brokenness of your heart. When they bless the cup, he says, do you believe that I can wash your wounds clean? And I went up and I took it. And I felt the life and the vitality of the Lord return to my soul. I was still physically tired, but a couple days after that, because we continued to gather as a family, I began to feel the vitality return to my body. This may touch your soul, but there's something about the family table that returns vitality to the body. Kelly, you can read. So it says he took the bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And he says he blessed it. George, will you come here? I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of blessing over the bread. Father God, we thank you for this meal that we're about to have, Father God. 
It is your body, Father God. We declare that this is your body that was, was broken on the cross for us. So, Father, I just bless it in your name, Jesus. And he says he took the cup. So this is my blood that will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's not just the forgiveness of what you've done. It's the washing away the thing, the way sin and death actually impacted your spirit, your soul, and your body. And he blessed the cup. Pastor Stephen, will you bless the cup? Thank you for this blood, Jesus, that you poured out for us. We thank you that we are entering into covenant. We're entering in and are a part of family. That this blood is transformative. It washes us. It cleanses us. And we can go before your throne in confidence. We take this blood and we bless it. Here's what we're going to do. This is an invitation to the family meal. This isn't Legacy's family meal. This is Jesus' family meal. If you've never known Jesus, this is an invitation. Come and become part of the family of God. The forgiveness of your sins that transforms you into a son. And what I'm going to encourage you guys to do, fathers, husbands, come with your family and serve your family communion. And I commission you with this and bring this to your tables. Bring this to your tables. Ladies, if you're a single mom or you're married to an unbeliever, it's okay. Bring this to your family meal. Do this and remember what Jesus has done. If you can line up here. And what you do is going to be two lines because there's two bowls. There's two cups here. Come up on this side and you can go around. We'll start with the middle and then our ushers will come and release you guys as well. What I have done maybe 10,000 times and as these come and we're praying for them, I'm going to bless you. And then you're released to either go, stay, either help pray or... Um, but I, I covet the office of the pastor and the, and the freedom to bless the people because there's power in being blessed. And so, church, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you. Shalom, shalom.
May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the fellowship of Holy Spirit be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.